All right. Well, good morning, Woodland Park. I see that a lot of us have taken Thanksgiving off. But the few, the proud, the adventurous are still here this morning. So praise God that we all got here safe this morning. It's a beautiful day outside, I think. And uh, I don't know how much you guys have been greeting each other. Why don't you stand up and, and greet someone around you and we'll get started. Soak it in 
kind of absorb it. If you want to sing along, that's great. That's fantastic. It's actually a fairly easy song, so I think we can all sing this together. Um, so we'll start that.
Fraser.
this kind of had almost the same effect on me this week. So I'll try not to worry about the details this time, but... Um, this song... I really think it's about... Him loving our whole heart, but... And holding our heart. But it's who we are. He loves us for who we are.
We're going to stand and surrender. Arms high. Arms high. Standing and surrender.
Amen. Take it too. Miss Mackenzie forgot to bring up the joyful tin, so you can take it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Those are nice. Thank you. This is my sack. Thank you. How is everybody? Yeah? Were you guys excited to have an extra snow day? Thanksgiving break? Yes. Anyone make a snowman yet? Snow angels? Nothing? Who you having? You made snow angels? Nice. Nice. Oh, got to wait. Okay. So um, the Miller family brought this, right? Was it hard picking out something together? Did you have to take a vote with all of you? Pretty much? Okay. All right. I'm going to open this up. Oh, boy. Wow. What is this? A comb? What do you guys use it for? For your hair. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Appreciate that. Takes a village to raise me too, peoples. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so you use it in your hair. Okay. What else can it be used for? Any other creative ideas? No? Okay. Usually, what do, when people comb their hair, they're usually trying to get what? Rats out of their hair. Rats out of their hair. For sure, we have that issue sometimes, don't we? The longer it is, the more the rats, right? <laughs> okay. Um, what does the world see the comb as? When we're using this comb or a brush, the world sees us as we're trying to get what? Looking for a B word. A B word. What did you say? Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Does Jesus see us in a different light than how the world sees us when it comes to being beautiful? Do you think? Because the world says, what does the world say about us? That we have to be like what? Just give me some ideas. We have to look good. What else? 
We got we to gotta put our cologne on, our perfume on. You guys wearing cologne and perfume yet? You guys smell good. You probably don't need that. Okay. When you get older, do you guys like to do, um, like, dress up? Do you girls like to dress up? Sometimes put on dress up, makeup, right? You guys get your hair all snazzed up. Xander, you have very snazzy hair today, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it looks good. So it's important to, to do those things, too, because that helps us feel good. But is it really Jesus who helps us feel good about ourselves and lets us know how loved and how valued we are, no matter what the world thinks of us, right? So it's important to remember that, okay? No matter what someone might say to you, no matter how mean sometimes people can be, all right? To know that Jesus thinks that we're beautiful inside out. Because did he create us? Like, if you look at yourself, did he make someone, like, pretty amazing? Like, look at these kids up here. Did they, he make someone, like, pretty amazing? Yeah, for sure. So you guys remember that because that's the cool thing about God. He knew you before you even um, in your mama's womb. He knew um, all the hairs on your head. Can you imagine that? So that's some pretty cool stuff. So beauty is not necessarily the things we use, right? It's what's in our hearts and how God sees us and how we treat others. Does that make any sense? Okay, made sense to me, kind of, sort of. (laughs) Okay, all right, let's pray, okay? Oh, dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these amazing kids. You have a beautiful plan for every single one of them. May they just um, continue to have open hearts and loving you and loving other people. And that they will just um, enjoy being thankful for the things that they love, the things that they cherish. Okay? And also just thank you for all of them and thank you for letting me be a part of their awesome lives. Amen. All right, good morning, church. Before our guest pastor comes up, I have a couple announcements about the Christmas parade. We are in it this year. Um, and yes, we are excited. Yeah, we're in it to win it. We're going to try and win. But with that being said, we're going to have probably like eight to 10 kids on the trailer or the float um, or two families. Then also, we'll need families to participate in walking around the side of the trailer, kind of behind it. Um, I don't know if you remember the little coupon cards from Halloween that we passed out, but we're going to also have those attached with candy um, to pass out and make sure people are getting the word from the church. Um, We also need some donations. So if you have leftover Halloween candy that you're like trying to push out before the Christmas candy comes in, just send it on my way. Um, we also need net lights. They kind of like drape over like hedges and stuff. But if you have old ones that work, you could donate them to me or get a box at Walmart. Um, but we're also doing Christmas jammies over the kids' clothes, an animal costume. Adults can wear a funny hat, um, like a flannel button-up maybe. It's Clark's Christmas Vacation, so the people that have seen that know. 
that's the route they're going this year. <laughs> um, and then also decorating. Um, even if you just want to decorate the float, we're going to have it out under the carport at 3 p.m. on December 7th. And that's a few hours before the parade. And that you guys can just come, help us hang posters, lights, um, all of that fun stuff. And the sign-up sheet is right at the Welcome Center window. And then you'll also, you can also email or text me or call me. And that um, is on the website. Okay? Thank you. If you guys haven't seen the Christmas parade or done the Christmas parade, it's actually a really cool thing that we have in our community. So hopefully you'll come out to that and make sure and get some extra hand warmers because you're going to need them kind of everywhere. <laughs> okay? All right, so it's my pleasure to introduce you, Pastor Joel Garcia. Him and his family were actually with us um, several years ago. He went and pastored um, in Fort Morgan for a while, and they couldn't stay away, so we get to have them back. And um, I'm going to have him introduce himself and his family, and he's going to share the word with us today. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my wife and we, we, we left with three kids and had one more when we got back here, so we think it's something in the water. Um, so if uh, Olivia, you'll, you'll stand up with the kids there. Uh, so Olivia, uh, Daniel's our oldest, and Jacob and Zoe, and little Sophia, who's two months old. And so we are glad to be back here. Um, uh, we, we miss the people in Fort Morgan. We do not miss the smell of Fort Morgan. As it had a sugar beet factory, if you've ever driven through I-76, you'll run right by it and you can't miss it. Um, and so we're thankful for that. We want to give you a little bit of an update before we get going on Golden Bell. As you guys know, since this is kind of the home church for a lot of Golden Bell staff, we've had a lot of turnover and a lot of change over this last couple of years, or over this last couple of months. And, um, and so we've hired on a new program director. Her name is Morgan and uh, her husband, Shiloh Coyle, they're from Sterling, um, Illinois, and they are com they've come, they've started, and they're doing a wonderful job as they're working through different things and trying to figure out all about camp ministry. She was a youth pastor there at a church, and so we're, we're real thankful to have them. Um, we've hired on, uh, I don't know how to say it, Pastor Ed Garcia, which you might notice the last name, that's my dad, Jerry and Janine, they've come out of 43 years or 45 years of pastoral ministry in the Church of the Nazarene. They retired, and so we decided to steal them. So he's our um, camp chaplain, and he works with our facility team. And then we have a new facility director who will be starting the first of the year. Um, his name is Brent Gunn, and we're stealing him actually from Fort Morgan Church of the Nazarene. He was my facility guy there, and so I stole him and brought him out with us. And so we're thankful for what God's doing and what he is going to continue to do. On the back table back there, there's not very many, um, but there's these little prayer tokens. You might have seen them at, if you were at District Assembly or you've been up at the camp. There's three things we're asking people to pray for us for, and that is for decisions for Christ. We believe that God has um, set, set the camp apart for a particular and very special reason. We want people to know Jesus more when they leave than when they came. We want them to have a radical encounter with a holy God while they're there. So we cover your prayers as uh, the old director, Keith, has set 500 decisions for Christ this year as a goal. Um, I don't think we're going to quite make it there, but we're every bit at 300 decisions that have been made on our property for Jesus Christ. The second is leadership. As we go through all of this change and we say, God, what are you doing and how are you moving the camp? 
We want to be sensitive to where God's leading us and what God's doing at the camp. And so we just cover your prayers as we say, God, we're willing, and we just want to participate in what you already have going. And then the last is, as we finish hiring up staff for the summer season, that God will bring us those that he's called to be a part of the camp ministry. So that's kind of a real quick on the camp and, and what's happening there. I want to tell you briefly our story of how we came back. Um, we left, as you were told, about four years ago. Um, it was actually in the old uh, chapel over there where we were meeting, and I can remember uh, several of you gathering around us our last Sunday and praying over us as we took the church in Fort Morgan. We had a wonderful time up there. We seen God's moving in the church. We saw many lives changed and transformed. And about um, early this spring, our church was going through a revisioning process. And in that revisioning process, we did six weeks of prayer and fasting. And in that prayer and fasting time as a church board and leadership, God began to speak to me. And I didn't like what he had to say. And he began to ask me a question, would you be willing to be a pastor without pastoring a church? Now, if you know my story, which I'm not going to get into it, it was a long fight for me to first say yes to God to be a pastor. For now, so now for him to come to me and say, do you want to do this other thing? I said, I don't know. Finally, I came to a place and I said, God, I just want to be wherever you want me to be. Whatever that looks like and whatever that is, that's what I'll do. I came home and I told my wife and she said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know, but I think we'll be gone from Fort Morgan by Christmas. And almost instantly, she said, do you think it could be Golden Bell? Now, let me give you a time frame. Nobody at Golden Bell had even announced that they were resigning from Golden Bell at this point in time. And I said, where'd that come from? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, I said, if that's where God's leading us, then that's where we'll go. Two weeks later, Keith announced his resignation from Golden Bell we began to feel like maybe this is where God was leading us. Throughout the transition period, throughout the time of searching, there were several times there were doors closed and opened to different things. We got to a point that we just said, God, we're going to stay here until you make it so clear for us to go where you want us to go. And he did. And we left. And if you hear the story of many of the staff that are coming on board, they've had almost the same experience with where they've been. God has opened doors, and God has said to them, it's time for you to take the next step. And so we're just, we're just so, we're so at awe of God's moving and what he's doing. I thank Keith and Susan for their wonderful leadership and for all that they accomplished and for what they did. And we just pray that we'll be able to continue to build on the foundation that they've set for the camp. I want to share with you this morning out of John's Gospel. It's the last chapters, chapter 21. Before we go there, I want to tell you a short another story. It was early 2000 when we were at Nazarene Bible College, and at my time there, I came to a point in the schooling that I was wondering if this was really what I was supposed to be doing. And in that time at schooling, there were some things in my life that I had been working through. They were traps that I was listening to the, the lies of Satan about my life and decisions I had made. And I finally got to a place that school wasn't going well, work wasn't going well, my position at the church wasn't going well, because I was so consumed in believing this lie that Satan was telling me. 
I wasn't worthy. I wasn't supposed to be there. I couldn't do it. You'll never make it. And on and on and on because of this decision I had made. I sat in a counselor's office as we talked through these issues and finally he looked at me and he said, Joel, he says, when you preach, do you believe what you preach? I said, yeah. He said, you believe in the redemption of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. You believe that he cleanses us of all sin and sets us free, right? Yeah. He says, but it's not active in your own life. Does your believing lie? Tears began to run down my cheeks as I knew what he was telling me was the truth. See, God was good enough for everybody else, but God could never forgive me. God could never do a redemptive work in my life because I had betrayed him. I'll never forget him sitting there. He was probably in his 70s. He sat back in his chair. He put his folder down on his lap and he tilted his head forward just enough to look over the top of his glasses at me. He said, Joel, Jesus is calling you. He loves you and his arms are wide open and he longs for you to reestablish the relationship you once had. By this time, we were both crying. I needed somebody to tell me that my God loved me despite my mistakes, despite my failures. I knew it. I grew up in the church. I understood it. But I needed somebody to tell me. I went home and weeped for almost 20 minutes as I sat in my car as the realization of the relationship that I thought I had severed with God was right in front of me and I could have it back. Changed my life. It gave me a new boldness. It gave me a new purpose. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. We find in John chapter 21, as you're turning there, let me set the stage. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years on the earth. He's been betrayed. He's been crucified. He's been buried. And he's raised from the dead. He's been two times different with the disciples. And at this point, this is the third encounter he's going to have with them. Now we have Peter, who's an important character in the story. If you remember Peter, he was probably one of the most enthusiastic ones of the group. He said in Matthew 16 that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the first one to make the proclamation of who Jesus was. He was the first one. Um, sorry, in Matthew 16.22, when Jesus told him that he would die, he said, Jesus, you will never die. And Jesus rebuked him because of what he said. In the garden, Peter was the one that took his sword and cut the ear off the centurion soldier when they were coming after him. Jesus picked it up and put it back on. Then a few hours later, Peter was there as the crucifixion was happening and denied his Lord and Savior three times. Now, we find Peter sitting 
on a shore. And he looks at the other men with him and he said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night long. I want to tell you something. I went ice fishing the other day and I caught nothing all day long. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples didn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed for shore. The others were in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore. They were only about 100 yards out from shore. When they got there, there was breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, drug the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, I love you. Then feed my lamb. Jesus said to him, Jesus said, Simon, or Jesus repeated the question, sorry, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time the question was asked to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how it's alive and active, for how it's relevant for our lives. I pray, Father, that you would open our ears and our hearts to be receptive to what you have to say to us this morning. Let none of us walk out of this place without hearing the voice of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There's something that's missed in the English translation. It's this word love. They're not using it the exact same way that you and I use the word love. In fact, when Jesus is asking a question, He's asking the question in a way and He's saying, Peter, do you agape love me? Meaning, do you sacrificially love me? The love that would, you would die for me. The love that you would give up anything for me. Do you love me that much? Peter's response to him is, Lord, you know I love you as a friend, a phileo love. And this goes back and forth three times. The third time, though, Jesus doesn't ask the question, do you agape love me? But he says, do you phileo love me? Jesus reduces what he's asking Peter that third time around. 
Now, for, in order for us to really grasp what's happening here, I did a sermon series that was in the entire book, the Gospel of John, for the last six months at the church. And there's a theme that John weaves throughout the passages that, that, that's so important. And there, there are these phrases where Jesus gives hints to who He is. They're called the I Am Statements. Now, in order for us to understand the I Am statements, we have to go back even further, which is Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, we find that Moses is wandering around with these sheep in the desert. And God appears to him and he tells him what? He says, I want you to go free my people from Egypt. And Moses asks a very important question. Why would they believe me? And how will they know that you sent me? And he says, you go tell them the I am has sent you. Now to you and I, that might not mean very much. But that carried a tremendous amount of weight for them. You see, what that statement means and why it is so powerful is this. Dr. Kinlaw in one of his books tried to explain it. It means that there is no one that has ever been before me. It means that there is no one like me. And it means that there is no one that will ever be after me. God is I am. And what we begin to see is John weaves through the gospel. He weaves this statement as Jesus says at different points that Jesus is giving a hint to who he is. He is one in the triune God. And John, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. John chapter 6. John chapter 7, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows will never walk in darkness, but will have light and light. John 8, 12. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I, he can go to and from from the pastor, John 10, 9. John 10, 11, I am the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. See, the importance of what's happening in this passage is not that this is a man named Jesus sitting there with Peter asking him the question, this is the great I am sitting next to Peter saying, Peter, I went to the cross for you. Do you love me as much as I love you? There's significance in what is being done here. I'm convinced that Peter's grief is not just because Jesus asked him the question three times, but because Jesus came to common ground with him as he asked the question and he lowers his requirement of what he's asking Peter. I'm so thankful, though, that's not the end of the story. 
for Peter, aren't you? Peter, we see in Acts chapter 2, is the one that stands up with the disciples. And as he stands up with the disciples, he preaches a message and 3,000 are saved on that day. He got it. Peter understood what Jesus was asking him. No longer was it Peter the fisherman. No longer was it the guilt of the past that held him back. No longer did it was it a phileo love for Jesus, but it was a, an agape love that he sold out. I will sacrificially lay myself down for the work of Christ. I will answer yes to the great I am. Jesus, as some will preach this message, will say it was the restoration of Peter back to where he should be. It wasn't Jesus that had to forgive Peter, but Peter had to forgive himself. Listen, we all have things that we have done that have caused us to get sidetracked or maybe people have done to us. We all have been betrayed by someone before. We've all carried the weight or the false guilt of something that has happened to us in the past. Maybe I should have tried harder. Maybe if I would have only done more. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. The I am is calling you by name. And he says, I don't care what has happened I don't care what others say. I love you. And my call and my relationship that I desire with you today is as relevant as it has ever been. You may be saying, this is good information. What do we do with it? First, we have to remember who it is that calls you and me. He's not some other God. He's not trying to win any popularity contest. He's not some God that was here in the past and is gone and some God that will pop up in the future. He is the one true living God. The second thing is we have to stop listening to lies. Did you know church, Satan is a liar? Did you know the only reason he exists is to bring defeat to your life, into your marriage, into your home, into your children? That's his one sole purpose, is to bring death. And if we're not careful, we get caught up listening to his lies. In those things that might be in our lives, we might say, well, I blew it. I failed. And you know what he'll do? He'll get right in next to you and whisper in your ears and say, see, you should have done better. If you'd have hung on a little longer, if you'd have just done this, if you'd have just done that, and we begin to carry that guilt with us, weighing us down heavier and heavier, where we no longer hear the call of Jesus saying, I'm here with you. We've got to stop looking for the approval of man and start looking 
with the approval of the one that matters. And lastly is this. You've got to run back to him. So often when we're in our trying times and when we're going through situations, we say, where did God go? I want to tell you, God never left us. He gives us that promise. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, not even to the end of the age. But when we begin to listen to outside voices, we begin to hear them over the call of His. It's not as clear. One evangelist once described it this way. If you were to go out into the foyer there and I was to say your name, you could hear me. If you were to go out into the doorway out there, you probably could hear me. If you were to get out to the road, you might be able to hear a whisper of me. But if you were to go all the way down to Colorado Springs, you would never hear me. God doesn't move. God stays the same. And He's here for you and me. I want to tell you, He calls your name. He longs for you to have boldness maybe you once had. He longs for you to keep fighting? Is it a relationship that's dragged you down? Is it a job? Is it a leader or a, a boss? Is it a spouse? The I am this morning is saying, I've called you. I know you. And I desire you to be where I know you can be. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we thank you that you don't give up on us. Father, in a group this size, I know that there's got to be people that are struggling this morning and the wind's been knocked out of their sails and, and it's been maybe a relationship, maybe it's been a job, maybe it's been a situation with a child, but Father, they're saying, maybe I screwed up so bad God would never take me back and they're kind of hopeless this morning. Father, would you sit in the seat next to them and would you whisper in their ear and would you say, you are mine and I am here. Would we recognize, Father, all we have to do is stop believing the lie that we've went too far, that we've done too much, that we'll never reconcile with you. And Father, would we turn and run to you. And you will receive us. So Father, bring restoration into the lives of your people. Give them strength and guidance and wisdom of how to move forward. Be with them throughout this week, Father. We thank You for this church. What a mighty church. 
the men and women of valor that are in this church, that are saints of God. Father, we pray that you will be with them this week, Father, as, as we continue to reach into the community, as we continue to reach into the lost and broken. Father, would people come here and find hope like they've never known before? Would this be a place of safe harbor? Go with us, Father, that we will be the light to the world around us. That people will see Jesus in us. And ask us the question, what's different about your life? And we can tell them, it's all because of a man named Jesus. Go with us, I pray. In your holy and precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed.